Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And if you're listening on the Voices of Wrestling feed, please feel free to jump over to our solo show feed, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy, to help us spread the word on this show, do all the fun things like that five-star review, all the all the good things that help us spread the word of this podcast, and we would greatly appreciate it. And that is... Your host, Tyler Fornis, and co-host, Fred Moreland, who was at Dynamite last night in one of the more unique experiences that you're going to have in professional wrestling. How you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, that was a very unique show uh, that hopefully uh, no one really has to experience again anytime soon for you know pretty obvious reasons, the circumstances causing it to be so, so special. Um but yeah, I thought they handled the whole uh, situation with uh, paying tribute to Jay Briscoe really well, uh, and there was a lot of uh, emotion in the room, uh, very genuine from the fans, and uh, yeah, we'll get to that more in a bit. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, how did you how did you feel about the? Because I, th- I think we need to talk about this elephant in the room, Fred. The seemingly one hundred eighty degree turnaround from uh, Warner Brothers Discovery a bit allowing this to happen after not allowing it last week. Um, are you putting this more on public pressure or are you putting this more on, hey, we actually have time outside of a chaotic 24-hour period to actually gather information and realize Mark didn't do anything wrong other than be a blood relative of Jay Briscoe when obviously Jay made those tweets. And that was the what we presume to be 100% the reason why he was not allowed on AEW television. Like what, how are you viewing this? Uh, well, um, you know, I listened to, uh, the wrestling observer radio Tuesday morning, uh, from the night before where Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez did their post raw show and they were going through the mailbag and they, uh, one of the questions they got in the mailbag was, will Mark Briscoe be allowed to be on uh, AEW television movie cord? And Dave Meltzer, if if you don't listen to Dave Meltzer, like you know, Dave Meltzer is a uh, is a singular person when it comes to communication. <laughs> it's the best way I could put it. Uh, he's just very blunt and, uh, oh God, I don't even. Know. I mean, it's I, literal doesn't feel like the right word. Uh, but he just very bluntly said, "Well, no one's going to like my answer on this." 
and pauses for a second and says, yeah, they're not going to let him on TV. Um, and uh, Brian Alvarez was like completely flabbergasted uh, at it and asked him, you know, why? Uh, and David, his, his, I can't say, but I'm trying to answer your question anyway, way um, like a step away from, have you ever seen, um, Oh God, what was the Watergate movie? The n- name of which I am blanking out on right now. Um, all the oh, president's men. Yes. You know how they like go to, you know, there's so much of the movie is based around like talking to whether it be deep throat or other sources and like getting information in exactly. Like I remember at one point there's a scene where they're talking on the telephone and trying to get a guy to give information. He's like, I can't tell you anything. And he's like, well, listen, how about if I just tell you something and if you don't say anything, that means it's true. Um, you know, just like these games that people play so that they can confirm information without like ha- being a- while being able to say that they did not give that information, right? Uh, Meltzer plays those games sometimes. Um, and what I'm getting at is that he's trying to say that there was some other issue uh, that I don't think has still come out uh, that was the reason that Warner Brothers um, wanted to keep Mark Briscoe off TV. It's never been elucidated, and I have a couple guesses. One being that he's Mark Briscoe. Um, you know, if you just look at him like that, checks off every negative redneck thought you probably would have. It's not fair, and it's also pretty stupid. Um, but that's a possibility I'll chalk up. Uh, the other is that I could, the only other thing I can think of is that like 15 years ago they wrestled in Confederate flag themed gear sometimes. Um, which I wonder if that was part of the issue. Uh, but, you know, regardless, you know, so I, I went into the day on Tuesday thinking that there's no way we're going to see Mark Briscoe or get a really a proper on TV tribute to Jay Briscoe. Um, and then, like, three hours later, it's announced that they're going to do Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal uh, as a tribute match to Jay Briscoe and have this be something of a tribute show to him. Um, which. It was undoubtedly the right move. And Meltzer has reported that there was a lot of fighting by uh, Tony Khan to get this done. And so I think that's the major reason is that Tony Khan just would not give up on this with the Warner Brothers people. And I, it's very obvious he wants to have a good relationship with them and that he has cultivated a good relationship with them. But he was able to convince them to allow this tribute to the Briscoes to go on TV and for Mark Briscoe to be part of it on air. Um, so I think that's what happened there from, from what I've been able to see. Um, I don't know that the public pressure had much of an effect, uh, given that they also went ahead with airing Power Slap with Dana White plastered all over the place, including, I guess, in the opening like minute or two of the show, saying sometimes, like Dana White himself, who just slapped his wife on New Year's Eve in public, um, saying sometimes it just feels good to slap someone you don't like. Which, saying it's tone deaf is just, uh, that's kind of underplaying it. Like, I can't put into words how preposterous and uh, shitty taste that is. Uh, so to to have that going on while at the same time saying we will not allow you to air anything about, you know, Jay Briscoe's death is really hard uh, morally to account for or justify. Um, I don't think it's justifiable at all. 
Um, and we talked about this a little bit about like, you know, making amends for your wrongs. And I think there's no question Jay Briscoe really tried to do that and really tried to better himself. And I think you can look around a lot these days and find people that do something wrong and uh, they, they're unapologetic for it. They, they play into it. They try to use that to, to milk money, even to make money off of it um, for various, from various political angles, uh, right and left and otherwise. Um, and Jay Briscoe was the exact opposite of that. And it really sucks the way what happened to him over the past year, how he wasn't able to be on TV because of those mistakes um, and despite what he had done to try to make up for it. Yeah, it's so much of it is unfortunate on a lot of different levels and we've we've hashed a lot of it out and I, I think you're kind of on the right track here. Um, I, I obviously don't know for sure what, what the deal was, but if, if we can... Um, the, let's go with the theory that it's Tony Khan and Tony Khan kept pushing for it because let's just be honest with ourselves. That sounds exactly like Tony Khan. He realizes that this is the right thing to do and he's going to push forward and try to make sure that he does the right thing. And well, we've I, seen other instances of it too. Yeah, exactly. I was actually getting ready to, to cut you off to bring that up because I'm rude. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that, uh, I mean, even if you discount the situation with Brody Lee because he was like under contract with AEW proper and pushed by them. And so, you know, if you try to discount that for some reason, I think Tony Khan has really gone out of his way to, uh, to do right by wrestlers in general. And I think in general treats them better than honestly, any other American based promoter, at least that I can think of. Um, in history, uh, or at least recent history, going back to like the eighties. Um, he really takes care of his talent. I think he really cares about his talent. And, um, I think that this is a prime example of it. You know, he really wanted to honor Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe too. And, uh, he did everything he could to make sure that that's what uh, they were able to do. And, uh, I think that's a definite positive. No, it's it's a hundred percent, and I I really think that Tony Khan wanted to do something really, really, really big, like he did for Brody Lee, but uh, just with how everything was timed out, it just they 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 did just release the special on um, what you call it a, a YouTube, YouTube and Honor Club, yeah. um, the three hour tribute show to Jay Briscoe, which is obviously not just wrestling; it's got a lot of things built into it, and I just started it uh before we were started recording and i'll be watching that here throughout the next week um obviously next week it'll be a might be a little hard um but um you know what why not let's just address this now um there is there is a chance there's no show next week i will be in mobile covering the senior bowl um for usa days vikings wire and um, we're gonna try to get a show for you but it if it does come it will be late so uh, we apologize beforehand. We're trying to work something out, but it's going to be very difficult when I literally will not be able to watch Dynamite until about Saturday afternoon. But we're going to do what we can to get a show ready to go for you in however we're able to. So just something to be aware of. Fred, unless there's any other real pertinent news other than um, 
whining and complaining about how Dana White sucks, which I think we could do all day. Oh, I'll, I'll complain about him until uh, <laughs> how, how much time we got. You want a five-hour podcast? <laughs> Listen, we're not Joe Rogan. We're better than Joe Rogan. We are the good, the bad, and the hungry, and we're here to talk about some all-elite wrestling. I and- do think there is one other news story that I'll touch on briefly, which is uh, there's a report from Fightful Select that Brian Cage's contract is set to expire in a few weeks. Um, they've been using him pretty regularly, uh, and I think he's done pretty well. Uh, so that'll be a situation to watch if they resign him or if they let that expire. Uh, honestly, I kind of expect that he'll be re-upped, but we'll see. They, they definitely, I mean, he's part of the ROH six-man tag team champions. Um, he's just been part of the, granted a re- relatively minor part, but a part of the Brian Danielson MJF storyline. So, I don't see any real reason to expect for him to be let go. Um, but that is something to keep an eye on. No, that that's a really good point. I like how Tony Khan has used Brian Cage. Hey, here's a really good opponent. Go do spots. Do Just go do a spot fest. Do cool stuff. Because that's what Brian Cage is. He is a human being that is incredibly weird as far as build. He's incredibly big. But he can do some crazy kind of high spots and with both strength and athleticism. You just have him go do a bunch of high spots, do fun stuff in the ring. It's something we talked about with Jade Cargill. Be like Goldberg. Just yeah. do cool shit. And I, I think after the initial run where you know he won the casino ladder match and got that title shot, um, I believe that was the early days of the pandemic, they used him well and they didn't overexpose him. And it kind of started to get like that. Then they pushed him to the side. They got Ricky Starks leading Team Taz. And I think that really helped his profile because you're not putting him in positions where he could fail because he's not a main eventer. You put him in there for a 15-minute match, he's going to deliver you four stars. Yeah, he um, he's very uh, – solid is not quite the right word because I – he, he is flawed as a worker, but I do think he's more good than bad as a worker. Uh, I think Brian Cage matches are usually enjoyable. Uh, he does a lot of high spots, but frankly, it's cool seeing a super jack guy do high spots. He's re- very relatively unique within that sense. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I like I like him. I don't love him, but I like him. And uh, I'm okay with him sticking around as like a mid-card heel. He fits his role. Yeah. And he's used properly. And to me, a lot of wrestlers like a Brian Cage can get miscast and can be pushed in an improper way for what their talent level is. He can do every spot in the book and he can do it well. Can he string them along to put together a real cohesive match? Like he, he's, not gonna, he's not going to be able to go in there and put together a story like a Kenny Omega because Kenny can do right. all those side spots too. But that's what separates him. And when you don't have like his huge story, be like, Hey, go do cool shit. He's great. And yeah. I think that's a great thing to have on your roster. Put him in opening matches as we get a run in from the hungry cat. Hungry uh, cat. And, and I, I think he'd be, he's great for ROH and he's great uh, in his role in the embassy. What like it's, it's perfect for him. And I, I hope they keep him around. And that was not something I would have expected to say when his deal first came up with AEW. Yeah, I thought uh, the the first iteration of Team Taz, he did get a little overexposed with it, but I think the 
going away for a while was beneficial for him and uh, his return. He's been used uh, very well. I feel like. Yeah. Um, completely agree. Let's get to the show, Fred. And you were in the building live. So yes. I want your thoughts because obviously watching at home is a completely different scenario. And we kind of dealt with this when um, uh, we like, before we started recording the show, we talked about it when, I was at um, what the quake at the lake um, where CM Punk made his return. Um, tell me about the atmosphere in the building. You obviously had tremendous seats, which if you're not in the voice of wrestling discord, please make sure one, you join and two check out our channel, the good, the bad and the hungry, where we post regularly about the product. Yeah, I was about, uh, I was on the second level, uh, not floor, but the next one up, uh, about 10 rows back from the hard cam. Uh, I probably could hunt myself down if I wanted to, but frankly, I have other stuff to do. Uh, but they were good seats. Uh, I think the crowd was very good. It was a, it was a crowd that was really into the show. Uh, some things that were surprised me, I don't know how you want to handle like dark elevation and, uh, rampage specifically. I I'm not going to get into, uh, Spoilers for Rampage right now, uh, but I will say that some of the stuff uh, that the crowd responded to was a bit surprising. Uh, there were a couple instances of OVW workers over from Louisville being used as jobbers, mm. um, and also I think one of their uh, uh, woman wrestlers uh, was the therapist in the the family therapy uh, skit. Uh, and they got good reactions. And also, uh, Billy Starks got a really good reaction from the crowd. Um, she was in the dark elevation opener against Red Velvet. And, uh, that one, she, she was very over actually, especially compared to like your normal, not contracted, uh, jobber on one of these shows. So she got to shine a little bit in her match. And, uh, frankly, I think she has improved. Uh, I know that for a while, Billy, you know, the non diehard GCW fans were from my experience, what I've seen down on her as a worker. I think she is, I'm not going to say good yet, but she is, it seems pretty competent. And honestly, I think she worked better than red velvet in their match. Um, there was a spot where, Starks did a swanton off the top rope onto Red Velvet, and Velvet just sold it by not moving anymore, which was funny to see. Like it just, just like it killed her. Uh, uh, but not like in the normal wrestling sense, just like no longer moving. Uh, but yeah, um, we can go into that more if you want to later. Uh, but yeah, I thought that the crowd was was very knowledgeable, very into the show. There was a lot of heat for it throughout. Uh, I think that there are a few times in the show where, you know, when a match hit, like maybe it's 12th minute out of 15 or whatever, that there was a little, you know, if it wasn't actively building to a big finish, that the crowd would get quiet. Um, but in general, I think it was a pretty up crowd. And I thought that uh, at least in the building, it sounded like they were acting very well. That's good um, because this was on TV. This crowd came across like they cared. And I was worried about uh, with Rupp Arena and the setup I believe they had was only for 10 or 11,000 when the building seats about 20. I was, I was worried less than that too. I think, I think it was eight or nine. I forget what wrestle tick said, but well, I'll pull that up here real quick. And I was worried that it would become a little cavernous where some of the sound uh, would get lost yeah because the building was so big. Um, 
and it didn't. It was it came across really well, and I thought that that was a net positive. Um, let's uh, oh, we can find out about uh, Raw in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> um, Winnipeg is actually selling really well. There's already 6,300 tickets sold, and most of most of the floor is already gone. Um, let's keep sliding down. As of Monday, I have it here. They the current the setup was uh, 5,800. Yeah, that's um, a that's with, um a lot less than I expected. Yeah, with 4,900 uh, distributed. And, yeah, um, uh, Rupp Arena is much smaller than I thought it was. I thought it it sat like eighteen to twenty thousand. It based on this look, it probably only seats like thirteen, fourteen. Uh, it maxes out at bas- for basketball according to Wiki uh, at twenty and a half thousand. So it can get big. Um, oh, it does go to twenty. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, let's see. Yesterday morning's update was uh, set up for fifty nine hundred with fifty two hundred distributed. Okay, well, that, you know what? That's not too bad. Um, yeah. All it right. Looked, uh, I thought I thought it would have looked good on TV, and from the little bit I have seen, I thought it looked pretty good. So, yeah, um, it did come across looking good. Um, some basketball arenas can end up looking a little wonky. I thought the Kia Forum looked like this too. On TV, you had like you're like ten rows of floor. And then an elevated platform, and then you had your bleachers. I, the how it looked was a little different, but it wasn't bad. I just thought yeah. that was worth pointing out that it's cool to have different arenas that look different. So mm-hmm. it's not like uh, it's like I bought a house in a new development, and even though these houses are kind of cookie cutter, there's like ten different like floor plans and house setup. So. They all have three car garages, but they all kind of look a little different. So it at least feels different. And that was kind of how this arena felt to me. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's, let's get to the beginning of this match. And we did not waste any time. There was no um, pyro to start the show. We were already doing the uh, lay sex gods entrance with Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara with Daniel Garcia um, coming up with them against Action Andretti and Absolute Ricky Starks. And something that you did were not aware of until I told you last night, Fred, they really put over the fact that Daniel Garcia um, was wearing new pants during his match with Action Andretti on Friday on Rampage and making reference to kind of that was why he lost the match. And I found that very interesting. because It was like they were kind of burying Action Andretti a little bit in the match. Like, hey, he beat Garcia, but it was only because Garcia was wearing new pants. Yeah, I I know that they really played up the pants on uh, on both uh, last Dynamite and Rampage, so I'm not surprised that they kept playing that angle. I imagine that this is going to eventually set up uh, a split of Daniel Garcia from JAS, um, but it's just a matter of time until they pull the trigger on that, which I don't think will be particularly soon. Um, but yeah, very very interesting. Um, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it really buries Action Andretti uh, from what I have seen. It certainly didn't feel like they were making him look lesser in the building. I'll say that. Okay, well that that's that's good. I just I thought it was that was interesting and kind of as this match played out, 
Um, we'll jump to the finish. You had Action Andretti trying to go for finisher, and um, Guevara kind of escapes. Daniel Garcia hits him with the with uh, Floyd the bat, and um, Sammy Guevara gets him with like his. I think it's a go to hell, the GTH. Where it's, yes, yeah, it's it's his modified version of a go to sleep. It's mm-hmm. kind of sick. Um, and then they get the one, two, three. Uh, Ricky Starks did hit a big Rochambeau on Chris Jericho towards the end of the match on the outside, and that exchange kind of left him incapacitated a little bit. Overall, I thought this match was good. They were intentionally trying to get Action Andretti some shine, and I think it worked. Um, I'm I don't know where this whole thing is going, um, and that's one question I have for you, Fred. Where obviously it's great that Ricky Starks is getting TV time. Action Andretti getting TV times an added bonus with this whole thing. But where is this feud going? It feels a little directionless at the moment. It just feels like we're kind of stalling out and hoping that we can continue to build towards something. Maybe it's at Revolution. Uh, it it feels weird to me. My presumption is that it is going to build to Starks versus Jericho on the Revolution card. Because um, it felt like from the beginning this was a, we're going to break Starks through by having him eventually beat Jericho one-on-one. Um, I don't know how Andretti fits into that. I think they did a really good job of like getting, you know, the, the, the initial match with Jericho was masterful and really did a great job of getting Andretti over and watching Andretti since then. I think he's a very competent worker, especially relative to his age, who needs to develop a little personality and work on his promos. Uh, what he's doing right now is like, very average attitude era style promos. Um, and I feel like it feels a bit out of place. Uh, but he also only has a couple weeks of experience of cutting promos in a big TV company. So I'm not expecting him to like be ready to go right off the bat. You know, he's not Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks was ready from the day he stepped, set foot in AEW um, for that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it's very much Andretti. I mean, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, Starks is going to be the breakthrough guy here. Uh, I very, I'm going to be very interested to see where Andretti is in six or twelve months, uh, because I think that he's a promising talent who could get lost in the shuffle, um, which I think is obviously not what you want to do when you have someone, you know, get put over like he did initially uh, or was initially, and. Uh, but I could see it happening because, you know, he's very good, but I don't know that he's necessarily great in anything. Uh, like, would you, if if it was left to you, and, you know, this feud was over, and your Tony Khan comes to you to book the next pay-per-view cycle and tells you that you have a choice of one babyface guy to get over in a singles feud, would you choose Action Andretti or Dante Martin? Dante Martin, but yeah. the tough part about Dante Martin is... Di- <sighs> You have Darius and sure. that that tag team. I would I would probably put over um, top flight as as a legit tag team. Oh yeah, yeah. But but ignoring all that, like if you just had to choose one or the other, Dante or Andretti, Dante Martin. The things he can do are for what his body type is because he is a tall, lean guy, and he can do stuff that like like better than what Rey Mysterio was doing when they were similar ages. And you're obviously crossing eras and things are just different now for high flyers than they were back in 1997. But what he can do for his size 
is truly remarkable. And the in-ring work that he got against some really good competition, multiple matches, matches with guys like John Moxley, for example, I think is an example of they want to continue to build this guy up. And they intentionally did not have him sit out when Darius was out with his multiple injuries. They featured him on television and in prominent spots. He was main eventing rampages. And whether you want to actually do the real main event or the true main event to open the show because it's at 9 p.m. Central time, and that's kind of like the the back end of what you would consider prime time. And that's when a lot of people are going out. They're slowing down their TV watching because it's it's a Friday. You, you just do things on Fridays. That's how American mm-hmm. culture is. I think that's not a mistake. I also think, well, actually, Andretti, I think, can be good. I don't think, based on the little information we have, his ceiling is anywhere near that of Dante Martin. I think Martin, as a high flyer, that, oh, it's extrapolating a little bit. I think you could see a path where he's a world champion someday. I don't get that sense with Action Andretti. I get that he's probably capped out as an upper mid-carder who makes a, maybe a pay-per-view title challenge, but I don't see him reaching that upper echelon where I see it with Dante Martin. Well, I was going to go through a couple other examples I came up with just to see where we thought Andretti fit in. Uh, okay. okay, so um, what about Darius? Would you, would you go Andretti over Darius in a singles push? or I'd probably still go with Darius, but the one okay. thing that worries me with Darius is the, the two major injuries, the torn ACL, and then I think his second one um, car crash from a car crash, which yeah. that's, that's a completely different thing than getting injured in the ring. You get injured in the ring multiple times, it's going to be harder for Booker to push you. Yeah, but I would probably lean Darius at that point. Okay, Daniel Garcia. Garcia, Andretti. I'd push Garcia probably over everyone else on this roster. Wheeler Yuta. Yuta. Bandito. Bandito. Uh, Dalton Castle, who I know is older, but still. I I would push Action Andretti because I don't think Dalton Castle's knees can hold up. Or his back. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, like my point is that like he's in this this mix with these other guys. Um, and, he's just not there yet, and he's not there yet, and that's okay. I, it's just going to take some time. Um, I just, you know, it's it's a thing to consider with him is what's next for him and how that's going to go for him. And I think that's you know that's pretty fair to have some concern about, in my opinion. Um, he, here's the one thing I do do like about the fact that he's included in this feud. You needed to pair Starks with somebody to go against the Jericho Appreciation Society. You have Action Andretti, who Jericho obviously wants to put over and believes in. And you're not taking somebody else away or creating some kind of a weird alliance where, hey, Pac is going to come in and team with Ricky Starks. Right. That doesn't make any damn sense. Like In canon, it's just two guys who have the same enemy. Yes. And I think that works out really well, and it's a good way to give Action Andretti a chance without – making your cannon all kinds of funky. And yeah. I think I, I'm not worried about him getting lost in the shuffle. He's going to get lost in the shuffle, but I think this is a good opportunity for him to give him a chance without doing anything to what your future plans might be. Yeah. I, and I think that he's, he's going to be put in a very good position uh, as far as like sticking around the roster. I think that he's someone that could get a serious push in two or three years, uh, depending on how he develops. Uh, but I just do think that it's like, okay, what's the rest of his 2023 going to look like? And I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, and I'm not and I'm not saying, like, if he gets lost in the shuffle, that means his career is dead or anything. It just could mean, like, he's going to be relegated for a bit uh, in the pecking order. But it's, you know, it's just, 
uh, I, I like seeing. I like considering not. I not. I'm not. I don't like fantasy booking. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But I like uh, just trying to look at the depth chart and see where guys line up and uh, see how that plays out in the future. I think that's a really good idea because it helps give us a a sense of where things are trending, and mm-hmm. that can mean a lot in the wrestling business because two three months can completely flip the script on, on a man or woman in this business. Um, anything else that you have from this match that you notice in the building? Uh, I didn't take notes because I'm, I'm not that big of a nerd. Um, wow. But disappointing. I know. Right. Um, how could I ever become uh, the next Dave Meltzer? Uh, I thought it was a good match. I thought it was very solid. I liked the end and how it was done. Um, just because, uh, you know, JES are jerks. Uh, Sammy, I think Sammy still has that I hate you heat. Uh, like not like what I would call necessarily like like normal heel heat. It's still some of that uh, you kind of got gross in public heat that uh, was very unique to him for a while. And I think that's still a bit of a thing with him. Uh, but I thought this was a very solid match. Went three and a half on it and uh, a perfectly cromulent opener. I think it was a good order or opener, not order. It got heat and it really set the tone for the rest of the night. Uh, but we we kind of got a little teary eyed here. Um, we had a really nice uh, video package honoring the legacy of Jay Briscoe. And I thought that was incredibly well done. It was um, heartwarming. It was honest. And it it showed a lot of different sides of not just the wrestler, but the man. And I thought, like, considering you're doing a three-minute package for TV, I don't know if you could have done one much better. Yeah. I uh, They played that package, I think, three times last night in the arena. Once, I think, before the show and twice during. Uh, which one of which may have been during a commercial break. I'm not sure. But yeah, I thought this was really well done and a very nice uh, tribute to Jay Briscoe. Yes, very much so. And then we had a fun as hell match. This is what I wanted Buddy Matthews to do when he came into the company. House of Black's Buddy Matthews came down with Julia Hart versus Darby Allen, who um, had Sting um, kind of as his second, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Buddy Matthews was wearing like the half face paint like Darby Allen. And these two just get into it really quick. What was really uh, interesting is they sold that Darby was uh, wrestling a lot, which he was. Um, he was obviously in Keiji Muto's final official pro wrestling Noah match um, with, um, Sting. with Sting. And they had Noah footage on AEW TV, which uh, is something that's worth mentioning. And they had more Noah later on in the night. We'll get to that. Darby had his upper right thigh taped up and they made a point of that on commentary, but the lights went out. And the first thing I, sh- I said was Sabu. No, it wasn't Sabu. We knew it was House of Black, but not only did House of Black show up, so did Sting with a baseball bat and Sting ended up uh, taking out uh, Brody King. And then Santana came out to take out uh, Alistair, or sorry, not Alistair Black, Malachi Black. I'm and Ortiz, not team. Santana. Oh, and I even got the problem powerful voice mixed up. I am on one today. Um, but it they took them completely out of the match. And then Darby Allen ended up getting the win. Um, was it a roll-up or was it the last supper? That one I don't remember. I can't recall offhand, unfortunately. Um, 
part of not having the best memory is forgetting that. Uh, but I do remember it being a very good match. Uh, I was very oh, worried. He, he hit the coffin drop. Coffin, yeah, yeah, he did the coffin drop because Buddy was uh, was uh, bent over the ropes into the ring. Uh, that was a very unique finish. Uh, I liked this a lot. I was a little worried about the placement of the uh, the run in and how that would affect the match, which ended up not being a problem, in my opinion. Um, a lot of the crowd did not recognize who Ortiz was, or at least in my section, um, didn't know who he was. Uh, and part of that, I think, is that he's mainly been on. Rampage, but I also think he doesn't really have a unique look or something that makes him pop right out right now. Um, I remember if I'm if I'm right, I think he used to have the the afro, right, uh, or the puffy yeah. hair. Is that right? Um, used, yeah, and this this version of the look of Ortiz is a little different than what we saw about a year ago. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that he lacks, he, or at least in this run-in, he in the arena, he lacks something that would like easily identify him. Um, just something that it seemed to be the case, at least. Uh, but well, I like this I match agree. a lot. Um, when he was teaming with Santana, they had, um, obviously, their, I, I can't remember if it's their Puerto Rican or Dominican, but they're uh, Puerto Rican, they I believe. They always have the flags with them. They always have bandanas. Mm-hmm. And even though they usually wore all black, those colors popped and yeah. they were a, a little something to help identify him. Like one of the things when I watch prospect tape is you always look at the player and you try and look for little things to identify him, like a towel, how yeah. high their socks are. Their shoes. Um, if there's, yeah. Is there something different? Are they wearing an armband? Do they have an elbow sleeve? So you, you can identify them easier. Sometimes you can't see their number very easily when they're just lining up waiting for a play. And yeah. that can that can be a nice indicator for fans like John Cena with his stupid bright shirts. You always knew it was John Cena because he always I, I had think, those bright shirts. And I think that could that is something that could have really helped Santana in this spot. Sorry, one of Ortiz, the, I got it wrong again. One of the best things about uh, mid to late '90s WWF is that everyone had a unique look and feel to them. Um, and I do think that uh, is is a small thing that can be forgotten sometimes. Uh, some promotions, you, you know, if you're not like closely following them and you pop in, it there's like ten guys that can probably blend together sometimes, and you're just like, who's this, you know, Jag? Because I don't know who it is. Um, and uh, I think in general, AEW has done a very good job of having unique characters and having people stand out against the rest of the roster. But I worry a little bit about the current Ortiz situation where he's just a guy that hangs out with Eddie Kingston, but they don't like each other anymore, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm intrigued to see the direction for Kingston because he's kind of been dealt a shit hand. But some of that he's done to himself. Mm-hmm. So how they kind of remedy all that is going to be interesting. After the match, Tony Schiavone went to the ring uh, to interview Darby Allen. Samoa Joe interrupted on screen saying, Darby, I'm coming to take everything from you. Know this. I'm coming to take back what's mine. The king will not be usurped by a man like you. You will learn that winning that championship was the biggest mistake of your career, and it got announced later that next week on Dynamite, Darby versus Samoa Joe, no holds barred. And I would assume that that's going to end this trilogy. And a Possibly someone's of, life. A little part of me wants this to be a write-off for Darby Allen. So he can have a break and heal up. Oh, yeah. Plus, the king of television gave him a kick so much ass. 
Um, but it could easily be a Darby win. So that's going to be one to watch next week. Um, next up, Jungle Hook is back, which good. Jungle Hook rules um, versus All Ego Ethan Page and Matt Hardy. And they come out to Matt Hardy's music at first. And then Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway are just big dicks, which was a lot of fun. The match itself was okay. Um, and it ended with a snare trap where Jungle Boy um, made Ethan Page tap out after Hook swept out Matt Hardy's legs when he was on the apron. Uh, Shivani had a good line. I think Ethan Page's ego really cost him that time because before the tap out, Ethan Page forced uh, Matt Hardy, who had control in the, in the ring, to tag him in. That's kind of turned the momentum of the match. Yeah. I, I thought this was a very enjoyable match. I went three on this one, uh, four on the Darby Allen match. I don't think I said that, uh, but three on this on the Ethan Page tag. I I thought you know I, I was thinking about Ethan Page some because I feel like his initial run with Scorpio Sky and Dan Lambert was a real bust when he came in. Outside of the Darby Allen match where he was allowed to just commit murder. Um. And of course, I mean, I think that I could, if Darby Allen bumped everywhere for me, I'd, I'd at least get to two stars as a as a fat non wrestler. Um, but Ethan Page has so many tools, it feels like, and just does not have. They don't add up to as a uh, to a star level, and it's very interesting. And I, I think he's at least settled into a spot where he can be like a, a mid-card heel uh, competently in AEW. But I don't know that he's the best option for those spots. And I don't really see him getting terribly much better. He had a good match a couple weeks ago where he just threw whoever he was wrestling around. Um, but then this past Rampage... Uh, it, with the Jack Perry match, it was a very bland, like two and three quarter match. And I don't know, man. I think he's really interesting, but not in like a necessarily good way. Yeah. It was the Danielson match, uh, which, of course, it's Brian Danielson. I mean, wrestling Brian Danielson will make any match look great. But Ethan, I thought a really. Four star match to Brian Danielson taking a nap with his daughter on the couch. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, I thought that the Ethan Page match was really good, and I thought Ethan Page looked really good. And, you know, here he was fine. Last Friday, he was fine. He, he's fine. He's got some charisma, but, like, not a, a whole lot of it. I don't know. It just, this, this, he might need just to figure something, go away for a while and try to figure something out and come back different. That's the only idea I have for him. Uh, but he's all right in this current slot, but. He, if he gets like moved up an inch, it'll be too much. You know what Ethan Page reminds me of? If you give me every prime tool to um, to dig out a foundation of a house and pour the concrete, and then ask me to go do it, I don't, I won't know what the hell to do, because I, I have, I have no knowledge. It feels like Ethan Page has been given every little piece of equipment he needs to be a great professional wrestler, and doesn't know what to do. And it's, you would think that, like, I remember watching him in the um, All Out Battle Royal, and I thought he was pretty good. And he got some shine in it, too. That Okay, maybe this guy can be something. And then he took the time, because back then he was, he looked like he was out of shape. He, he was just kind of a bigger, not toned, not cut wrestler who didn't appear to take a 
a pri- make his physique a priority. Well, he's turned that around. He's got a great physique. He mm-hmm. looks great. He has cool moves. He's kind of he handsome too. I think. I think he's that's a good looking league. guy. Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't know what to do with it all when you have. It doesn't add up, and I head. don't. I, I can't put my finger on it. It's like the the old Randy Orton line, you know, that if you were in a factory, you, this is how you'd build a wrestler. Like you could make that argument for Ethan Page, and then he goes out there, and it's like, well, I hope you like this two and a half star match I put on. And you're like, well, in AEW, we're expecting like much more than that on a regular basis. And he's like, this is what I got. Enjoy it, mm-hmm. or not, whatever. Yeah. I ab- absolutely agree. Um, let's continue to move on. Next, we had the family therapy session with um, the World Tag Team Champs, the Acclaimed, and the Guns. And Daddy asked that Austin Colton took the easy way out at, at the end of it. And it's like, what is that you want? The Guns said they wanted the Tag Team Championships, and they walked out. Um, so this is it, it. This didn't really accomplish a whole lot. Um, other than the gun saying Billy Gunn was a shitty father on the road 320 days a year, and they were never there for them, and now they're there for their competition. To, it felt like they were almost planting seeds for the guns to fully reunite. I don't know if that'll happen, but at the very least, we're going to get a tag team title program with the guns and the acclaimed, which I think is a really good opportunity for the guns to show that they belong at the yeah. top of this division, and an even bigger opportunity to pr- for the acclaimed to be the best tag team in a feud and be able to carry it. Because I think that like, it's not that the guns are lifeless, but when you have yourselves two teams, one team's going to be better. And like the young bucks were able to carry like private party to that big match. in one of the first dynamites, like mm-hmm. can the acclaimed bring the guns up to their level and can the acclaimed establish themselves as a truly great tag team? I think this is a big opportunity for them. Yeah, it's a big test both ways, and it'll be interesting to see the results of it. Um, I don't, you know, this was a lot less bad than I thought it would. I mean, I wouldn't call it like particularly good. It was just there and fine. Uh, I think it's going to be a real mistake if they turn Gun, uh, Billy Gun, uh, heel and put him back with the Gun Club. Uh, I think there's just too much juice left with the acclaimed as they are. And he's obviously not like the biggest part of the act, but he's part of the act and he fits in nicely and fans love him. So I think for him to, it's just not the right time for him to turn heel at all. The act would objectively suffer without daddy ass. In the yeah, he adds. I mean, again, it's, it, he's not like the major part of it. It's Bowens and Caster, but having him around uh, daddy ass does help. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the guns have shown some signs of improvement. I don't know if they're t- top the tag division ready yet, but it'll be an opportunity for them to show out and hopefully they do. I mean, it's always good when you have more good wrestlers. So yeah, it absolutely is. Um, next segment, we had Renee Paquette interviewing hangman page backstage again. They made reference to kind of how weird last week was, which was kind of odd, but that was just kind of a precursor. Um, we know John Moxley now will be returning next week in Dayton, Ohio. And Paige said, I know John and I are one-on-one. And what's next for me is kind of impossible to knock out John Moxley next week in Ohio. At that point, Wheeler Yuta interrupted Hangman Page, said Moxley accepted, but first Page will have to take on Wheeler Yuta this Friday on Rampage. Um, can you confirm that that was a good match, Fred? 
Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we'll get to that more, but I like that match quite a bit. Good. Um, what do you think about uh, Hangman Page, even as a baby face, leaning into the fact that he wants to knock out John Moxley? I-, I think that's fine. I think that you know, there's been a long history of baby faces in wrestling, like wanting to put their opponents down. Uh, you know, and and possibly you know, like. I don't think there was ever a point in time where like Stone Cold was like, ah, oh, I'm going to put down the rock, but I hope he doesn't get hurt too much. Oh, was just a, he's going to whoop his ass. And that was the whole character. I think that's kind of how it goes throughout the history of wrestling. Um, uh, I didn't feel like it was like, I don't know. I mean, it didn't cr- uh, strike me as a weird thing, but maybe I'm alone in that. What do you think? I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I really feel like they're trying to paint shades of gray with this feud where you're not necessarily, you have two incredibly popular wrestlers and you're trying to give reasons to both sides to believe that John Moxley is the bad guy and Adam page is the bad guy and vice versa being the good guy. And I think painting those shades of gray on both sides is going to be objectively great when you get these two guys in the ring or hopefully at revolution and have some kind of big blow off match. And you'll have a, a true split crowd and one guy just doesn't get drawn out. And I think that's kind of the end goal here is to give Moxley something to do and keep Hangman Page elevated throughout this whole process. Because we've seen with injury, with time off, um, with the end of his title run, like he's kind of felt like a like a lost soul at times where he doesn't really have a direction he doesn't have a lot to do and because of all those things he just you kind of forget about him and then he has like like his matches against brian danielson at the beginning of his title run and you remember oh yeah this guy's phenomenal the six-man tag that which um that i believe was a top 20 match on the voice of wrestling match of the year poll um dark order against the elite um like you remember that he's just this tremendous wrestler. And I think what this feud is trying to accomplish is to keep reminding you. And so you don't forget that hangman page is one of the biggest stars in this company and he can absolutely go. Yeah. And and also with him, I think he was one of the victims of the, uh, the brawl out situation because it felt like they were setting up some big angle with the elite in him. Uh, where he opted to go with Dark Order instead of the Young Bucks as his tag partners for the six-man tournament. And because of Brawl Out, that all just fizzled out. So, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they go, try to get back on track with that in the near future or if he's just going to keep doing his own stuff. But he's been I think he's been hitting towards uh, the Elite recently and trying to reconcile with them. So that'll be... Uh, I think that could be very interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm very intrigued to see what this match becomes. Um, And as we kind of talked about earlier, Brian Cage did have a match against the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Now, with this new stage setup, the the Videotron for Brian Danielson, just with the big screen having this badass-looking dragon, was so freaking cool. Um, I don't know if you were paying much attention to it in the building, Fred, but if you get a chance to watch it, go check it out. It's it's worth your time. The The dragon was really awesome. Okay. Um, but this match was awesome. It was back and forth. It was violent. And then you had Brian, Brian Danielson was the one who got them with the roll up, not Darby Allen. 
And then Cage attacks him after the match. You had MJF come out, and they tried to break his arm. But out comes Kanosuke Takeshita with those weak-looking chops, Fred. <laughs> and that ended up running them off. Um, I thought this was a big step for Takeshita more than anything. And then Brian Danielson delivered one of the best promos of AEW history. Yeah, this was a really good promo. Very fiery. I thought the match was like pretty good. Um, and, uh, but not super great at the same time. So uh, I went three and a half stars on it. It was an enjoyable match. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I thought it was good. Yeah. I, I think this was just a gateway to get to the post match and MJF obviously running like a coward because of the man he calls Takashita. Um, and he did cut a promo after the uh, Tony Storm Ruby Soho match, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But yeah, obviously um, the promo Brian Danielson saying that you can't take me out. I'm still going to wrestle. I wrestled 60 minutes with a separated shoulder. Like you're not going to be able to take this guy out just with a couple cheap shots. He's going to keep going. It. This is going to be continuously fun to watch. Um, and as I said, the next match was Tony Storm versus Ruby Soho. And this got really interesting at the end. Um, this was supposed to be a three-way with Dr. Britt Baker, but Britt Baker had an injury, which I believe she suffered on dark. And it was a nose injury with, um, I, I think I'm right there. I think Billy Starks busted her nose open, yeah. Ah, Billy Starks. Yeah, who could have imagined that? Uh, let's let's continue on. This match was honestly, I thought it was a good match. I didn't think it was great. Um, you had Tony Storm with her new heel ring gear, which had the the full pants, and her um, her top was a, um, a little different and had like that kind of like like the chest cut out with like the the neck collar almost. Mm-hmm. I I don't. I think I'm describing it right, but if you've seen it, you understand what I'm saying. And then all of a sudden, as Tony Storm started to take control, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, music hits. She comes out uh, in a varsity jacket, which I actually thought looked pretty cool, and just stands there. And then you get um, Ruby Soho hitting um, Destination Nowhere, I think Mm -hmm. is what that is called, and gets the win. Kind of continuing to part the seas with the, um, the AEW Originals and the outsiders, which is interesting because Ruby Soho is kind of an outsider here. And now I, uh, this is where things get muddy. And Ruby is just like, why are you helping me? Almost in the same way, like she had with Willow Nightingale. Mm -hmm. So this, the way they're continuing to build this after that disastrous start with Soraya, I think it is continuing to prove Tony Khan understands what he can and can't do with this women's division. And he's, adapting very very well yeah uh i thought this was uh well done uh i did like what is i did see a tweet which is likely only headcanon but still it's worth uh mentioning because it made me laugh uh the idea that Britt baker realized that former wwe wrestlers are very uh prone to being distracted by music playing and did that to specifically target tony storm um uh, it it that's not what actually happened, but it's pretty funny to think about it that way. Um, I liked this match pretty well. I thought it was a three star match, uh, very solid. I thought Soho worked 
better than she usually does. Uh, but I also thought Tony Storm was not her usual dynamic self, uh, unfortunately. So, but all in all, pretty good match. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the inclusion of Baker and how they used her was the more important thing other than just the match itself. Um, MJF um, locked in a room and he addressed um, his buddy Takeshita, um, told Takeshita to stay out of his business or else there'd be consequences. And MJF kind of pondered how Brian's limb was. Um, and he said, this belt turns my catchphrase into a fact. This belt makes me better than you and you know it. You want to take this away from me, Brian Danielson? Bad things happen to people who mess with me. Tonight was just the tip of the iceberg. And his next match will be against Timothy Thatcher. And this is going to be really interesting because this is going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be like a four and three quarter star classic, or it's going to absolutely bomb because that's about the only way Thatcher matches go. Yeah. It's one or the other. It's going to be dull, boring, and bad, or Danielson and Thatcher have great chemistry and they're able to turn it up to 50. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see which of those two it happened uh, is it's going to be. Uh, I was the way that they were announcing it. I thought for sure it'd be Zack Sabre Jr. Given the New Japan relationship, and uh, instead of Thatcher, uh, who is not nearly as good as Zack Sabre Jr. In my opinion, yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll see. I think this is uh, another one of those. It's going to be interesting, but it may not be good uh, circumstances. I'm very interested to see what direction this goes because no matter what, it's going to be must-watch professional wrestling television. Um, Now we have the main event. And this had me crying, and I'm pretty sure it had you crying as well, being live in the building. Um, Jay Letho taking on Mark Briscoe, the co-holder of the ROH World Tag Team Championships with his um, late brother, Jay Briscoe, on Jay, what would have been Jay's 39th birthday. You had Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman calling the match with Excalibur. Look, I we're going to talk about our Dynamite Dozens in a little bit. I don't know how to rate this match. I don't know if I can rate this match. This might have been the best match in Dynamite history, but I, I genuinely just don't know because you have so much emotion and it's so it's such a different setting than anything we've seen in this company other than the Brody Lee tribute match, um, the, the final match of that show. This was incredible on so many levels, and you had both guys. Mark came out with in a blaze of glory that not only did the fans respond incredibly positive to him, which, of course, they were going to. Mark People love Mark Briscoe, and mm-hmm. that com- combined with everything that was going on, but he came out looking like the most fired up baby face of all time and just exuding emotion. He and Jay Lethal just walks down in that tribute shirt and Sanjay Duck Dutt is just hugging him at the top of the ramp and he's just crying. And we know how much love and respect that he had for the Briscoes and he does still have. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Lethal beat Jay Briscoe to win his first ever Ring of Honor world t- title. Um, yeah, with when he was with the House of Truth, this match gave you everything you needed, everything you could have wanted. They both delivered, and I told my wife, who th- literally does not 
know about this part of wrestling. She she understands some New Japan. She understands some AEW. She did not know the Briscoes. And I, I told her, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, the first time um, Mark did the double underhook, I'm like, please hit a J-Driller for the finish. That would be just a beautiful way to end this match. And he did. And Jay Lethal kind of stood in the ring, stayed in the ring with Mark for a little bit and rolled out. And then he just went up just blubbering. Um, and Mark got a standing ovation. He got to spend time in the ring and then he went and, and first guy he hugged, I thought was, um, was really fitting. And that was, uh, Christopher Daniels, somebody yeah. that he's gone to war with multiple, multiple times. This was, you could not have asked for anything better, Fred. And I genuinely don't know if I can rate this, but it's going to rate very highly on, on the dynamite dozen, but I just, I don't think I can give it stars. Yeah, that's completely fair. I uh, was entirely sure what to do with it either. But, I mean, it was also an obviously once-in-a-lifetime kind of uh, experience. And I just don't think it could be uh, replicated. Uh, and honestly, I don't think you want to. Uh, this is not something that I think you can recreate willingly. No. It's, it's just the totality of the circumstances. And, uh, you know... I mean, it was a super special night. Uh, just a really memorable match. And yeah, uh, you know, when uh, when Mark threw the, the one belt in the ring and, uh, you know, it's kind of really went drove home that there, you know, that Jay isn't here anymore. Um, that was extremely sad. Uh, I, I teared up really hard on that. And uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I thought they worked really hard. Uh, Jay Lethal going from basically sobbing into a uh, arm drag like immediately was just wild to see. Um, but yeah, special in ways it should never have had to have been. Yeah, and exactly. It makes and it's the Brody Lee thing is the closest thing I can think of. Um, and when I was a kid, my favorite wrestler was Owen Hart. So. You know, I remember that uh, Raw is Owen tribute show, which was really weirdly done in hindsight. And, you know, just how emotional that was. And, yeah. Yeah. Overall, this was a very powerful show. Um, advanced quite a few storylines. Um, we won't dive into spoilers. But, Fred, let's talk about the upcoming Rampage for Friday night. Do yeah. you think it was a good show, and what can you recommend? Uh, I did think it was a good show. Uh, like most Rampages, it's kind of short. Do, should we just put a spoiler warning here? Like, just uh, outright, you know, if you keep listening to the next few minutes of the show, it's going to be me talking about the results, or you would just... Let's not talk results. Let's just talk okay. about um, what we can recommend. Sure. Uh, I'll go over the card. I think that's fair. Because that's that's it's announced ahead of time. Uh, so it opened with Adam Page and Wheeler Yuta, and that was probably the second best match of the night. Really? Uh, yeah, I thought so. Uh, I thought it was okay. really really great. I thought it was better than Darby Buddy. Um, Yuta had a hell of an outing, and Adam Page was really good. It was a good intense match. Um, best friends, which was Chuck Trent and Danhausen against Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, and Satnam Singh. Was uh, I mean, it's exactly what you would expect from those guys. You is know, this it's... the first time we've seen Satnam actually in a sanctioned match? 
I think it's the second, if I recall correctly, as far as like TV. I know he's worked the the dark some, but let me pull him up here on the old cage match. He has had nine matches, and this was his third on TV. He did a uh, uh-huh. a squash with uh, Jay Lethal of Davey Vega and Matt Fitchett, which is a really oh, good right. indie tag team. And then there was also a um, uh, another one of these six man tags back in July. Wow, uh, they did this again. Okay, uh, where it was Chuck Trenton Orange against Jay Sotnum and Sunjay. Um, this was a lot of goofy fun. If you like the Danhausen shtick, you'll really like this match. Uh, I went two and a half stars on it uh, because it's you know mostly comedy. But it's good comedy. Uh, it's an enjoyable match. So if you like that, good for you. It'll check it out. Uh, there was a powerhouse Hobbs squash of Tony Mud, which I think is uh, oh, what a Kentucky name. I know that's it's, it's unfortunately that's a great name, but unfortunately, I don't think that's that guy's regular name. Um, I think he usually works as Tony Gunn, and uh, for pretty obvious reasons, they're not going to have him work as Tony Gunn in AEW. Uh, but that was just a total squash. Um, I, I'm sorry to spoil the results of Powerhouse Hobbs versus Tony Mudd, but I don't think there was any doubt there. And then uh, the main event was uh, Emi Sakura and Jamie Hayter, which I thought was a pretty good match, but also kind of sloppy at points. Uh, so I could see a lot of divergent views on this one, but I enjoyed it more than I didn't. Uh, I think I went three and three quarters on it. Uh, a pretty good main event. Uh, the problem with it was it was the last match of the night uh, after four hours of wrestling, I think. Um, and Emi Sakura has not really had much of a TV build at all. So there was, you know, the crowd was pretty tired by this point. It wasn't exactly the most over thing. But I think Emi Sakura worked well, and uh, Jamie Hayter definitely had her working boots on. That's good. We need to see more of Emi Sakura on TV. Um, yeah. that, it sounds like it's a good rampage. It's something I will make sure I will be checking out yeah. on Friday night. Now, let's do our running Dynamite Dozens, which we obviously debuted in uh, December, right before the new year. And we talked about extensively with Sue Williams, who is the creator of the Dynamite Dozen. And I've I've decided that I'm going to include the Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal match, but I'm not going to have a star rating on it. Um, I I just can't rate it. But it was very very good. Um, here let's let's do this, uh, Fred. Why don't you do your list first, and then I will follow up with mine. And we can just kind of go through all these at once and talk about like any any extra additions that we made. Okay, sure. Um, so uh, I had five additions to my list from the last time we did this, I believe. Uh, just running through it. Uh, number twelve for me is Elite Death Triangle Match Three from November thirtieth. Uh, number eleven is Danielson and Garcia against Jericho and Guevara from October fifth. Number ten is Match Two of Elite Death Triangle from November twenty third. Number nine is the best two out of three falls. Brian Danielson, Sammy Guevara match from November 9th. Uh, our first new addition for me is Bandito versus Brian Danielson at number eight on January 18th last week. Uh, number seven would be Hikaru Shida against Jamie Hayter for back from uh, December 21st, right before Christmas. 
Six is uh, the snuff film Darby Allen versus Samoa Joe. <laughs> uh, five is Tomohiro Ishii and Chris Jericho uh, on November 23rd. And then my top four are all new matches. Uh, number four is Brian Danielson against Kanosuke Takeshita on January 11th. Number three is the match six of Elite versus Death Triangle from uh, December 28th. Number two is, of course, match seven from Elite Death Triangle two weeks ago. And then number one is Jay Lethal, Mark Briscoe. I think I've uh, kind of figured out that if it's a match that makes me cry, uh, it's a five-star match. And I don't know how I could... I don't know that this was in a vacuum necessarily worked as a five-star match. It felt more like four and a half or four and a half, uh, four and a quarter. But frankly, if you're just evaluating it that way, you're probably missing the point of it because you should consider the totality of it all. And this was just an extremely special match. And it kind of is beyond star ratings, to be honest. But I went five stars on it. And I think it's been the best match of this, uh, this cycle of Dynamite. Let me ask you this question. Obviously, we have a long time until this happens. Um, actually, almost a full calendar year. Yeah. What do you think this does in match of the year? I, you know, it is January, and I think being in January is a double-edged sword. Um, one thing I'll point out is the AC Mac Alex Shelley match from uh, Beyond Wrestling IWTV uh, that d- did pretty well in the the match of the year voting i don't have actually i do have it was that 49 up. yeah it was a really good match and i think that's a perfectly uh 56th looks like uh, i think that was a perfectly reasonable placement for it but the i i do question if it would have been as memorable if that match happened in april or uh july you know um i think that there's kind of a a certain subset of people that in january the new year flips over and they're like i'm going to watch everything i'm going to watch uh Ryushu Pro Wrestling or uh, Ryukyoshu or whatever it is. Or uh, I'm going to be go deep into Mishinoku Pro this year. And, you know, it's just... Uh, and then after a few weeks of that, they get tired out and uh, go back to what they're usually watching. Um, I also think there's a possibility that if it's in January, it can be forgotten. Especially if it's not like, you know, one of the three best matches of the year in that company or something. Mm-hmm. But I think this Mark Briscoe match is going to be memorable uh, for all the obvious reasons, for all the emotional reasons. And I think it's going to end up doing pretty darn well. Uh, I think top 25 is a safe bet, in my opinion. Yeah, um, it, it wouldn't shock me at basically anywhere this ended up because everything that it brought... The only thing I worry about is at the end of the year, it gets kind of forgotten about for people who don't put together their match of the year list. Like as that's we a do. fair point, but I, I think it's going to be remembered for you know being Mark's debut on AEW. I think the whole drama with Warner Media uh, is going to make it memorable. Um, maybe in not exactly the most desirable ways. Not that Mark or anyone else did anything wrong here, but I, I do think that when you know, you sit down and do the year end. Uh, you know, if you think about what were the big news stories of 2023, I think one of the bigger ones is going Jay to be Briscoe. this whole, yeah, unfortunately, Jay Briscoe's death and also, also the kerfuffle with, uh, you know, Warner Discovery initially not wanting to mention him at all on their shows and then reversing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see how that ends up, but we're quite a ways away from it. Um, here is my updated dynamite dozen. I had a few matches added on. Um, what we are now down to just two matches from the best of seven series as I had, I believe three or four of them fall off here. Um, the one of them that stayed is death triangle, defeating the elite in match two on 11, 23. Um, and that's MG- your number 12. That is my number 12. My number 11 is MJF defeating Ricky Starks at winter is coming. Both those I gave four and a quarter. Um, the next batch is four and a half. Um, number 10, Brian Danielson defeating Bandito last Wednesday, 118. Number nine, Darby Allen defeating Samojo in his hometown of Seattle. I gave that four and a half. And then the first match, Samojo defeating Darby Allen on my birthday, 12 7. I also gave four and a half. Uh, Brian Danielson defeating Kanosuke Takeshita on 111 was at number seven. Action Andretti defeating Chris Jericho on 12 14 winners coming is number six. And the last four and a half star match, Jamie Hayter defeating Hikaru Shida on 12 21 is at number five. Um, oh, wait, I have. Okay, I think I screwed up because I have Darby Allen defeating Samoa John here twice because I'm an absolute idiot. No, um, no. With different yeah. star ratings, too. Yeah, well, the four and three quarters was the star rating I gave it initially. I don't. Um, <laughs> so. All right. Well, so you, we can just delete Darby Allen defeating Samojo at number nine. And the new number 12, the Elite defeating Death Triangle in match number three. 11's Death Triangle defeating the Elite in two. We'll move everything else up a spot. Yeah. Um, So what's your four? I think you're at four uh, now. Four. Darby Hound defeating Samoa Joe on one four, four four and three quarters. Um, Number three, the Elite defeating Death Triangle in game seven on one eleven, four and three quarters. Mark Briscoe defeating Jay Lethal um, is my number two. And my number one match is Chris Jericho defeating Tomohiro Ishii on the night before Thanksgiving, 11-23. I gave it four and three quarters. Um, woof, I can't believe I screwed the pooch like that, having uh, seen right. that time there twice. I, I was prepping for next next week on Dynamite when they probably that's delivered right. another four-and-a-half star match. No, number 11 is uh, Tyler's fantasy booking of the upcoming Darby Samoa Joe. It's so good <laughs> that it uh, made its list. Um, I thought that um, th- th- that does remind me of something I heard. I saw Rich Krejci talking about where, you know, when they do these match of the year uh, voting, they, uh, you know, they they now have a form that pulls from cage match where it's all very formal and, uh, you know, you it's uh, tremendous work by Jeremy great. Sexton, by the way. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Jeremy Sexton did it, and it's job. fantastically designed. But you have to pull up the promotion, then the date, and find the match. Uh, in the olden days, people would just type up, uh, you know, their results and send it in. You know, just be like, uh, I'm typing in number five, it's Gunter and Sheamus. Um, and then uh, Rich would be responsible for finding the date and all the extra information. There, and, fun, and it, fun story about that. If we wouldn't have had the form last year, I would have actually put the um, uh, Utami Hayashishida and Shiri match on there. And Rich would have known which one I talked about. Instead, I voted for the wrong one. Oh, because I forgot yeah. what date that one was. But just imagine the hell of this year where somebody like just types in FTR Briscoes and then leaves it, you know, or Elite Death Triangle even. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. Poor Rich. <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can already hear Ult- it right now. Poor Rich. Alternate universe, uh, alternate uh, reality, uh, Rich Krejci would be in hell. Um, do you want to talk about the, the results so far, the match of the year voting? Yeah, let's do that before we get on out of here. I think... Yeah. 
Um, what were your biggest surprises, Fred? I don't know if I have too many surprises, to be honest. It's uh, it's all about what I would expect. Um, I was a little surprised, I guess, that the Kanis retirement match for Dragon Gate wasn't higher. Um, I that Where was did a that fight. I I think it was down in the the seventies, maybe. Uh, let me let me find that if I can fast. Um, yeah, it looks like that was seventy um, ninth. I just thought it would have been a little higher. That was another. This match made me cry, so it's five stars for me. But um, yeah, I, I think it's all perfectly reasonable. I don't think there's going to be a WWE match in the top ten because Gunter Sheamus. That was a um, shot. Yeah, he, that's 11th, and Cody and Seth was 19th. I think those are both really good matches, to be clear. Oh, um, I th- I'll be honest. I thought the Hell in a Cell match would make top 10 because of Cody wrestling, one, as well as he did, mm-hmm. but two, with a torn peck that looked like his arm was about to be like oh, It looked terrible. Yeah. Oh, but it was terrible in the best pro wrestling sense. Yeah, and, and really when you tear a muscle, like you can't – generally speaking, make it worse. It's already all the way torn. It's not like he went in there with a partial tear and was hoping it wouldn't get worse. I mean, that that sucker was just torn off the bone, which is what happens in a uh, muscle tear. Um, but yeah, I think the results were all pretty good so far. Um, AW-wise, you know, I think we're going to see Anarchy in the Arena in the top 10, and of course the uh, three FTR Briscoes ROH matches in the top 10. Um, there's what am I? I'm sure there's going to be a couple more AW ones, but what am I not thinking of? Okay, um, so we 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 think, and this this was kind of crowdsourced by the um, by the Voice of Wrestling Slack. We kind of think we already know what the top ten is going to be. It's going to be three matches from AEW, three from Ring of Honor, two from New Japan, one from Stardom. And one from Just Tap Out. Yes. And I love that we're going to have a June Kasai match in yeah, the top pre- 10. It's a presumably uh, June Kasai El Desperado is going to be up there, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, I think one of my biggest surprises um, when I kind of look at it, I was really hoping that Will Ospreay Orange Cassidy was going to be a top 10 match. Um, that one just outside of it at number 15. Mm-hmm. Osprey versus Michael Oku was at 13. I thought that one might make the top 10. Um, I was really surprised Death Triangle versus the Elite from Full Gear was 14. I I didn't think that was that great of a match. Like Obviously, you look at the teams involved. It was a great match. But on that level, I, I didn't think it was on that level at all. Well, as someone that voted for it in my top 10, if I recall correctly, uh, I disagree, sir. <laughs> but, yeah, this is the fun thing with these is, uh, it, you know, I just love the pulling of it all together. And it's kind of a good wrap up on the year. And, you know, it's a good way to see, oh, I didn't get to see uh, Goshi Ozaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima from January 1st. But that sounds awesome. I'll have to watch that when I can. Or it was awesome. Osprey Oku, which I also haven't seen. Um there's just so much good wrestling right now, and it is virtually impossible to keep up with it all. Zebrat's Kung Fu Masters was that uh, Dragon Gate tag I was telling you about I yeah. think, last week. That is a must-watch. I um, need to check that out. Um, oh, it was I don't great. think I've seen uh, Kairi Mayu Iwatani either, which was 23rd, um, which I'm sure is great. Um just looking real quick. Chris I am Jericho, glad Eddie Kingston at 25. 
I'm glad that made the top 25. I loved that match. And um, it got a first place vote, which kicks mm-hmm. so much ass. <laughs> Uh, I like 30th uh, Tokyo Joshi's Pros, uh, Miyu Yamashita and Miyu Watanabe. Um, that was a really, that was the best uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro match of the year. I watched all that promotions uh, matches this year. I was like, well, I'm going to learn Tokyo Joshi Pro this year, uh, which is a very good promotion. And uh, I definitely recommend checking that match out. It missed my top 10, but it's it's still like really good. Um, and we had a Michunoku Pro match at 32 with Musa- Mushashi versus Fujita Hayato. Yeah, that was another special match. Another That one made me cry, too. Uh, Fujita Hayato made his comeback after, I think he had like a concussion or, or an ankle injury, actually, at first. And then he was diagnosed with a spinal tumor and uh, missed like four years. And this was his comeback match. And uh, I, don't, I don't recall he was presenting the title in the aftermath of the match to Hayato, but that guy crying through the announcement... Uh, uh, was made it very memorable um but yeah uh josh alexander mike bailey um i think that may be slightly higher than i would have had it at 38 but frankly they both had fantastic years so i'm not going to complain about it um but yeah um i i can't endorse but i enjoy Sami Zayn versus johnny knoxville at 41 um if you're going to view wrestling that way then that has to be a top 10 match for you. It's not for me, but I get it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, one I want to point out before we kind of wrap this up um, and we, we give who we think are uh, our, what we think will be the top matches of the year. Um, Swerve in our glory, defeating the acclaimed at all out got 18th. Yeah. And this, um, this quote from Sam Roberts, and I believe it is the, Sam Roberts. Um, I think this is a big testament to a good match um, if you want to rewatch it. Even more so, if no matter how many times you've seen it, you're willing um, for a different outcome. A match that many were low on coming into All Out, this was the Acclaim's coming out party. I think that's a tremendous assessment of what this match was. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the suite um, that that night and I was a little disappointed because my wife actually called me because we had just gotten OD and she was having issues. Mm. So I didn't get to, I, I didn't get to get all of it, but the way the building came unglued as the match kept progressing and progressing. And we even opined about it. Cause that was one, I think one of our first shows was talking about all out and the fallout from it. Yeah. I thought that, they should have made the switch in the building and said, no, we're going with the acclaimed. We have to capitalize on this. It was that kind of momentum and that they were obviously able to do it at grand slam and they were lucky and it, it didn't cool down. They didn't miss the moment. They were able to still capitalize it and then continue the story with Swerve and Keith Lee. But in that building, I have never experienced anything like that. Like, I was at the G1 in Dallas when the entire crowd stood up and gave Okada and Tanahashi a standing ovation when the bell rang just yeah. because they were there. Yeah. And I'll never I'll, I'll never forget how incredible the crowd was in in Chicago that night. Yeah, that that ca- that crowd was electric for that match. You could make an argument that it had the biggest reaction of anything on that show, which considering it included a CM Punk World title win 
in Chicago is a crazy thing to say, but like that was just the absolute peak of the acclaimed as far as being a babyface act. And uh, I mean, they've done very well since then. Don't get me wrong, but like that crowd, I think if you gave them the option of either the acclaimed win or um, you all live, <laughs> like if yeah. if they win, you die. Like I'm sure a lot of people would be like, "All right, we'll die. Sure, that's fine." Um, it, it was just a, a really unique uh, atmosphere and really awesome too. Yeah, it was. It was truly incredible. Um, but now that we kind of understand what the top 10 will be, I think we can all presume that FTR Briscoe's dog collar is going to be number one. Um, yeah, I think, I think that feels like a safe bet. They kind of alluded to it on the flagship this past week. Um, I, I want to go out on a limb and I want to say punk MJF is going to be number two. Really? You think so? I I do uh, okay. like I understand brawl out is was going to take that out of for a lot of people, but I think the the super card of honor match and um, the um, I can't even remember the the second ROH pay per view um, from back from July. What which one that one was called? Uh, Death Death Before Dishonor, I think. Yeah, those are going to eat each other up. And I think more people are going to have the dog collar match as number one. And I think those two will end up falling a little bit. You um, even with the, the two will Osprey Okada matches, they're getting cannibalized by each other um, as far as who, which one people prefer. So I think the punk MJF one, I think has a chance to rise and I, we can all laugh at me when it ends up number 10 next week. Oh, I, I don't know that it will finish 10th. I just, uh, Okay, I found the tweet from January 17th that Rich sent out where uh, the dog collar match, uh, FTR Briscoe's to be clear, because Punk MJF was also an excellent dog collar match. Um, barring, He said, barring some uh, massive reverse in fortunes, Briscoe's FTR dog collar was going to be number one, and their Super Card of Honor match is in the top five at that point and had a real chance to finish second. Uh, I think you're going to get three FTR Briscoe's in the top five. Uh, oh, we're going to, and I... I... Uh, the fact that the Death Before Dishonor match hasn't come out yet, um, I think tells you that there's going to be three in the top ten, and yes. wouldn't shock me if they're all in the top five. I thought that the best two of three falls match from Death Before Dishonor was the second best of the three. I thought Supercard of Honor was objectively the worst, and that match is still tremendous. But I just I think that one's just going to be cannibalized because it's in the middle of the series. But the way that obviously you have a basic structure, two out of three falls matches, the way they built everything and they made you believe the entire time that the Briscoes could win this whole dang thing. And then yeah. they didn't. And you knew they weren't going to the second they got that first fall, but they made you think they were. And that was what the brilliance of Jay Briscoe. He always made you believe yeah. whatever it was. He made you believe. And I think that's what made that match so special for me. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's the greatest trilogy in wrestling history. Um, I think, Ooh, uh, I think uh, it's Mikado Omega is the alternative, but I think with what's happened, I can't say. I think I got to go with FTR. Um, I think let's revisit this in a year when. That's fair. I I think the one thing I don't like to do is try to base stuff off of emotion, which mm-hmm. uh, it, it's completely fair to base it off of emotion right now because there's a oh, lot yeah. of emotion surrounding the Briscoes, but just from a strictly work rate standpoint and what they did. 
I think there was a lot more story with Okada Omega than there was with FTR the Briscoes. And that's not even a slight because there's a ton of story and a ton of stuff built in. But I thought Okada Omega was just a little bit better. And that's, that's not even being disrespectful. And that's very fair for sure. Uh, The man, these, the Briscoes ones, they really were very special, but it's a tough one. It is. Um, But that is our show here today. Make sure um, as you're listening to this to check out everything on voiceofwrestling.com for match of the year. Um, There is a tab for it on the very top of the screen to make things easy for you to find. There were over 300 matches um, that received a single vote. Um, There, like we're talking like there's, it's what we call sadness village. Every, every match that just gets like a couple votes um, before that top 100, like you had, um, like like some of these matches were really good. Ryusuke Taguchi versus Show from Best of the Super Juniors got a ninth place vote. Hmm. Lance Archer Okada from G1 got a vote. Satoshi Kojima versus Keno got a vote. Like there's some really good, interesting matches that end up at the bottom of these. Maki Ito versus Alex Windsor from Tokyo Joshi Pro. Like there's some interesting stuff, and you can yeah. go back and just kind of like, hey, I want to watch some wrestling. What should I watch? And you can find some really, really good stuff. Yeah, and I think it's just an interesting way to get a bunch of different uh, uh, ways of uh, looking at uh, professional wrestling. And if you just want to kind of explore things and maybe watch stuff that you otherwise wouldn't, it's a great place to start. It absolutely is. Um, that is our show here tonight. Uh, you can uh, find us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Forno and at the Vikings Wire. You can find Fred on Twitter at Flagrant Wrestling, like Ted Turner, not Vince McMahon. And you can always find us in the Voice of Wrestling Discord in our channel, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. And you can also email us at HungyPod at gmail.com. And feel free to ask us any questions. We will answer them on the show. And in the meantime, thank you very much for tuning in. If you listen on the Voice of Wrestling feed, thank you. Please go ahead and subscribe to our solo feed, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy, to help us continue to spread the joy of all elite wrestling to everybody and the fun that we have on this podcast. It makes a big difference in helping us out. In the meantime, uh, all the prayers continue to funnel them um, towards the Briscoe family as they are still dealing with the aftermath of the tragedy from last week and um, send all your prayers and good vibes to them as they continue to um, deal with all the struggles and all the pain. Um, In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Have yourselves a great day. Take care, everyone. Hello there, my name's Neil David, and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed, check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP and join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.